All right, this is Average Joe's podcast. I'm Zingus Maloney. This, and I'm in Chicago right now, very chilly Chicago, and I have two people joining me today. All right, well, I'm uh, Felix Peroni, I'm the president of the NCBA. I'm in Columbus, Ohio, right now. And uh, I'm Mario Romanelli. I'm an alumni from DePaul, and I'm in Winchester, Virginia, right now. All right. To start off with the Chicago Dodgeball Open, this is 2016. I think it was the seventh recorded CDO in the history of the league. It's actually the third oldest event, first being Michigan Dodgeball Cup, which should happen in February 27th this year, and Nationals, and then CDO. So we only had two matches play at the CDO. That was DePaul versus Saginaw. Saginaw won both of those matches, uh, one at the beginning of the day, one at the end of the day. And in between, we had a couple of JV matches, and Akron showed up, but unfortunately didn't have enough people to play. They had 11 people on their roster, and they had two no-shows when they had to drive out to Chicago. Um, they did play DePaul regular, and they had a pretty competitive match. I didn't ref that one, but it was very fun. And as far as Saginaw versus DePaul, it was as expected, pretty much. Uh, nothing really big to say other than Saginaw has good ball control and DePaul always has poor ball control. But that's that's kind of their thing. That's yeah, that's that's their thing. What Mario, what do you do you kinda of agree since you're alumni? Yeah, um the big thing with DePaul is kinda of like just try to play fast even if the other team isn't playing fast. So when that happens, we end up like losing all the balls all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah. it's more fun that way. It's you know everyone gets a throw, everyone has a good time, but you just get pummeled afterwards. Yeah, and I recorded the point statistics, and there wasn't any, uh, there wasn't a lot of balls over, but by far DePaul was the balls over uh, shot clock violation candidate. Usually indicates that. At they had less balls, or they're on a five clock, or sorry, sorry. five five man roll. Uh, so yeah, that that happens a lot. Uh, also, what happens is when um, I see this a lot sometimes, and not just with the Paul, but when I used to play, is if teams have more balls. Like let's say if if one team has like seven and the other team has three, the team with more balls is able to force the other team to hold more. So, like, if you have if you have three balls, you're not going to want to waste your throw. So, obviously, you got to wait till you know 10 seconds or 15 seconds before you get rid of that last ball because you have so few to work with that uh, you then sometimes yeah. mess up and you end up not throwing and you get balls over. Yeah, I think I've noticed that before. It's weird though because it's a it's a combination of working the clock and also not wanting to give up ball control because ball control is very important. Um, especially when you're working the clock, so it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. I just wanted to point out DePaul JV. They brought the first ever DePaul JV team, which is pretty much just an adaptation to uh, the new rules where you can only have 20 people per per tournament, essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, Ziggy, I have, a, but... I have a question about that. So um, I remember the rule of only uh, 20 people per team. But if you bring a JV team and you have a varsity team, can you have them like intermingle, kind of? Uh, varsity, um, varsity can play down to JV, but J 
but the varsity Maybe. roster has to stay at a maximum of 20 people. It has to be the same 20 people. Um, you can have less than 20 people, but if um, JV only has, let's say, nine people, you can pull some of your guys from the varsity team down to play additionally in the JV. Oh, okay. Because those games don't really matter as far as, like, recording. Yeah, as, as far as now, they don't matter. Um, they're still recorded in the, in the records, and when I talked to the JV people, they were very excited that their performance was still <laughs> put in the NCDA records. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it's no, it's it's a weird thing. Uh, the JV thing is fast and loose, and I just want to encourage JV teams to play in general because I think that's great because that's more people playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have any questions, just like bring it up to the executive board because we got that's something good to vote on or or discuss or. And it's just not it's not defined at all. Yeah. Maybe in the future we'll we'll have a little bit more set say if there is more JV teams happening, JV matches happening. But uh, for now they're not they're ranked in their own special little thing. But the biggest thing about being DePaul being a DePaul alumni and seeing DePaul play is when the new people start taking on the the Joe Hernis that we're we're so fond of. So <laughs> they're playing Saginaw and they're getting beat. Um, but they're doing well. So, but Saginaw's being their their traditional ball control thing. So, uh, one of the freshmen, who's Alec, comes yells back, "Everyone to the baseline!" And that's something I I've done to, with DePaul, and I think they kind of learned it from me. Maybe they learned it from somebody else who learned it from me. So they bring all the balls back to the Jake line, and then he just yells out, "Wait, it's their throw!" And they have like one ball. So <laughs> they. And, Saginaw throws a ball and then uh, gets somebody out, obviously. But um, it was just a really funny thing that the uh, the point where DePaul, the young DePaul, becomes the the standard DePaul that the NCAA knows and loves. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that happened in that, that Saginaw JV match. <laughs> uh, another thing, uh, one one small uh, DePaul comes over to me and is like, "We want to play Saginaw." With uneven terms, and I was like, "What do you mean by that?" And, was, and Saginaw was playing uh, 15 people. DePaul JV only had 11 or 12. I think it was 11. So I say, "Okay, they want to play you 10 on 10." And Saginaw was like, "Oh, sure, I guess." <laughs> and it was just like DePaul wanted to do that. They wanted to play them on their own terms for that last four minutes. I thought that was also fun. <laughs> so, all in all, the recap. Fun was had at the, the Chicago Dodgeball Open, as it should be. So, we'll segue into a little bit about the rankings, just to touch on, on how much those matches were worth and the different ranking systems. We have four ranking systems that are named after studious people that uh, created them or brought them or proposed them into the league. Uh, the Gonzalez system, first off, it's kind of like an EL, ELO ranking that's used in chess and baseball and Pokemon uh, card placements. Um, It's a little bit like, because it's like a zero-sum system. And those matches, DePaul, or Saginaw defeating DePaul at at home, still worth the minimum amount, point zero one zero. (laughs) So not much change there. 
<laughs> um, Saginaw coming up with point zero two zero over the day. Nice. Uh, the Prodi system, those matches were also pretty relatively low. They're actually worth the minimum of 2.5 Prodi points, which just means that DePaul had a win percentage of zero. So <laughs> they were awarded those amount of points. So they come up with five points on the day, which is not shabby. It's, it's, I, if, you, if you feel like I'm making fun of it, it's not. It's, it's part of the, the, low, the larger system that brings us to a better Nationals. It's all for something. The, match, the matches all count for something, but they just the minimum amount sometimes they don't count for much. Uh, of course, four points in the champ system, which is the NHL-style counting point system. Which, uh, fun fact, and, champ is yeah. not his name, which I recently learned after knowing him for <laughs> years. <laughs> No idea that his last name was Hill and not Champ. It's all right. I was the same way. I knew him for three years before I figured that out. It's weird because his uh, his girlfriend used to live with my girlfriend, and she always called him Kevin. And I started calling him Kevin, but when I was around other dodgeball people, I called him Champ yeah. without question, without my mind skipping a beat. So I think I've gone back to calling him Champ in regular <laughs> conversation. Um. So as far as the total rankings goes on the day, nothing has changed. Saginaw is still uh, going to be around sixth in the in the regular standings, which is a amalgamation of everything else. Um, DePaul may get a bump in a league. Like I haven't done it yet, but since DePaul has played almost all like J, uh, all Michigan teams, they uh, might have a strength of schedule boost in their thing. Which, I mean, we're all smiling in the chat, but it's just, uh, DePaul might have a little bump there. So, so with that in mind, like, if you even lose to a team with a very, like, high win percentage, so, like, if DePaul would lose to Grand Valley or CMU, it still wouldn't be, like, as bad as if they lost to a lower-ranked team, right? Yeah, so a good, a good example is uh, Peroni, which awards based on the, your opponent's win percentage. So DePaul... Um, has a win percentage of zero, and Saginaw had a win percentage 0.45, so they, they won 45% of the time, essentially. In the Prony system, the loser loses points, and the winner gains points. Based solely... Um, in the same vein... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, you, you gain points based on their winning percentage and lose points based on their losing percentage. Basically, it rewards you for beating teams that I guess you would say are better... But like better based on their win percentage. So if you're just beating up on the same team that's been completely defeated all year, then you're not going to get as many points as if you actually went around and tried to beat better teams. Which is a good a good system. Yeah. Like it makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a quality win component essentially. So uh, you're it kind of gives you more points the better your win looks in, in terms of statistics or win percentage, in terms of win percentage, your opponent's win percentage. Yeah, so um, you're talking about DePaul getting a bump in Lieblick because of their strength of schedule. Right now, DePaul, in terms of the Lieblick system, which is a total strength of schedule, they're in last place in that they're ranked 20th. And they might go above Ohio or 
or um, Stevenson because they've only played like Michigan teams this year. They played one UWP game, I think. Of a season kickoff. Yeah, the, the season kickoff. The season kickoff. We're calling that. It's it was the. Uh, it was a pioneer. We call the pioneer classic. It was a yeah, good analogy. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> well, because that's, like, around the same time as, like, NFL kickoff. That's why I thought oh. it was it, whatever. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. It was for... the first time I heard it, so I didn't know. <laughs> so that's the – we'll probably – yeah, so that, that was the CDO. All right. Mario, you said there was one elite event that you wanted to talk about? Uh, Yeah, for teams that are in the Michigan area and are probably not going to the MDC – um, February 27th uh, to Saturday, uh, last Saturday in February. It's um, an elite tournament. It's not an act official elite tournament. It's being held at the Detroit Pistons Arena. It's called um, the Palace. I think it's called the Palace. It's where the Pistons play. There's going to be a tournament there. It's going to be with the same rules for elite um, teams of six, uh, max of eight. <laughs> Uh, also, um, it's I think pinching will be allowed. I know in some elite tournaments, pinching is not allowed. Um, it's two hundred dollars per team, but there be like with the winning team will get something for it, and each sure. team will also get tickets for the next Detroit Pistons home game. So it's just like a fun like tournament for people in the area if they want to do it. Um, is it but, like um, a little bit like Costner's tournament in Grand Rapids? Like uh, the Grand Rapids invite. Um, I have in terms been... of like kind of like elite, but not. Yeah, pretty much. It's True. gonna be almost the same exact rules. Um, you know, hard boundaries. Um, even if you block a ball and you block it into yourself, you're still out. Sure. So yeah, it's um, that'd be a good event for anybody who's not able to go to the the MDC for any reason, but can go to uh, uh, Detroit. Go to Detroit, yeah. Um, from what I from what I heard, this yeah. is the second time they did it. Last year, um, they didn't have as many teams, but it was still a pretty big hit, and they want to try to get this bigger. So that's why they asked Glenn and uh, everyone else from Elite to try to bring more teams in. Uh, there's a whole if you go if you Google Detroit Pistons dodgeball tournament, you can find the link for it with all the information. Yeah. Um, all right, sounds good. Mm-hmm. So Mario. Do you have any questions on ra- the ranking system as a general? Um, I kind of well, like I like Felix's the Peroni system of the whole rewarding teams for beating good teams. You know, uh, that whole idea. Yeah, um, I think eventually, like I feel like as a goal for the league, but I don't think this can ever happen. It'd be great if every team could play almost every team in the league. I mean, obviously that is almost impossible, I feel like, based on the different regions. Yeah. But I feel like it'd be cool if, like, you know, if teams were able to travel more and, like, if, like, Ohio State or any of those teams in the middle can host more, more tournaments and try to make uh, more teams. That is a, an interesting um, concept because I read an article a while back about college football playing – and different colleges playing other college football teams. Mm-hmm. Um, very crude way. Our divisions are kind of weird like that. The East Coast division will never really get out to play Nebraska or or um, 
UNT. And the article went into how ge geographically large the United States is. And as Americans, we don't really think that's a problem. You could travel the, the size of the UK within a couple... That's maybe, a less than a day. It's, I think it's like a 12-hour drive from tip to tip. Yeah. We just Wait. that's our, a huge problem in our thing, and, and that was the main the main thing of the article. I, I was mean, talking to uh, Nico about that actually because he played dodgeball in Malaysia, and their college foam dodgeball system. Yeah. And uh, we were driving out to the Grand Rapids tournament, that one that Coster put on, and he was just saying that he's so annoyed at how big the United States is because it's so hard to play dodgeball. Yeah. Because within uh, Kuala Lumpur, where he went to school, there were like 10 other universities within the same city, and they all had dodgeball teams. Yeah. Not really very many other large cities in Malaysia, so if you played dodgeball, you were in Kuala Lumpur. Um, I just had a quick question kind of idea, um, not expanding to the West Coast, but, I mean, which is possible, that's another thing. If we wanted to make... Um, like, have the NCDA, I guess, well, for the West Coast, and then have, like, another NCDA in the West Coast, kind of like the West Coast, like, region, hemisphere area, and then, like, Midwest, East Coast region, kind of. <laughs> Eastern like Empire, Atlantic. Western Empire. Yeah, or Atlantic um, Pacific, you know. Yeah. Um, if we wanted to do that, or if, if, if there are enough teams, you know. I think it would be, a, that would be an interesting way, because... Um, and another thing I'm going to bring up at, at Nationals, the captain's meeting, is whether we want to launch into a different rule set um, as an organization for, like, smaller teams, like six-on-six six or four-on-four four or something. Yeah. Just because I think that could open up, be better to open up the West Coast or just anywhere else um, and then have two, two kind of separate play sets within the league. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it'll work, and I don't know if the existing the existing teams, the existing 22, 25 teams that we have now, have to play under that rule set to make it work. Right. But as an organization, if we want to maintain our like small little, I don't want to use the word monopoly without getting in trouble, but if we want to maintain our monopoly on college dodgeball in the United States, and that's it's, it's something as an organization we, we kind of have to look at again. Growing ourselves is is always really important in general. <laughs> I never I always say, you would never stop recruiting. You always got to keep passing out pamphlets and stuff like that. But then again, they wouldn't get to play as much because there's only six and six, and the new guy isn't going to make the top six players. So I think it would be a good addition to our league to have the 15-on-15 game and then a separate division where you can send your top six players to basically play, like, our overtime rules or some variation of the sort. Yeah. So, I don't know. I kind of like that idea. I've been pushing for smaller teams for four years now. I want it to go down to 12-on-12 and 12, 12 and eventually 10-on-10, 10 10, but I always seem to lose that battle. Yeah, we can look back at the the voting record for that in the past two years, um, and it's been a pretty apparent majority. I think it's been about above sixty to seventy percent of teams don't want to change the the size of a team. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's time for another another ballot 
more like a poll to say uh, if we established a secondary bracket and had six on six, would you do it? Um, kind of going off that, um, I don't really want to use like elite as an example, but that's the best I can think of. Um, uh, like for example, in the north, like we play non-pinch and pinch kind of with those rule sets. But in the west coast, they'll play non-pinch and co-ed. Like they won't play pinch, for yeah. example. So, but in Vegas, when like the national league tournament happens, we play all the different styles with co-ed, pinch, non-pinch, you know, and just see who's the winner of each one. And each team can sign up for each, you know, division, I guess, and see which division you want to play yeah. in. And so I think they're doing a great a great job with that. Um, when I first looked into it, because I I like learning about stuff. It was a really cool thing. It's just an idea for if for the slower teams. If we have, I mean, for example, if we do have the like 15 man division and then like um, let's say a 10 man division where you play with 10 people, like Grand Valley could play in both 15 and 10. But mm -hmm. if you're a team like Akron who may not be able to get the 15 all the time, maybe they'll just stay in the 10 division. Yeah. yeah. And it'd be a good transition too, so you can build up your core. Like if and if we had a six man division and then a fifteen or like you said a ten division, you can get you can get five friends together when you're a freshman in college. You'd be like, hey, I heard there's a dodgeball tournament two hours away. Do you guys want to play? That's you, about one car. So. Yeah, you fall in love with it, and then you're like, hey, we can join this league and then eventually build our team up and go from six to fifteen or ten to fifteen, whatever. So there's a lot of different options that we have. We just have to be able to convince our members to support mm -hmm. us. And I, I think it's something that can be done, um, especially for, like, teams that have a lot of players. Like Saginaw Valley, I know, they are always good with players. They have, have a pretty large team. If they have a 15-team and a small team, they can probably interchange players or they can probably have enough to be their set 15 and then their set 6 or 10 or whatever the small yeah. team is. So it's just it's just an idea, um, and I think Felix kind of like brought it up, which is good. Yeah, I, I, we shouldn't be ever boxed in because I know a lot of complaints from some elite players that they get that the rules are boxed in, and there's no like no wavering to ever expand the rule set or adapt to a new new thing. And I, I like the idea behind the NCDA is that we're able to do that and. Um, Forward thinking, adapt, and and uh, keep the organization fresh as it goes on. I mean, the new opening rush is four years old. Yeah. Um, but still, like it's it was a big change. But I, I was thinking about it at the CDO. I was like, wow, used to play, just ran up to the line. There's yep. a lot of shoulder check going on. Yeah, people get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, we we still do that at the Paul though. <laughs> Well, that's because we're pretty lazy running up to the line, and uh, we have to take the ball back, and there's no fights over balls because we have 30 balls and 30 people, <laughs> so everybody gets a ball. Um, yeah, Vince no, like Bank, that guy that plays out in California, I listened to one of the podcasts that he's on, and he said that he's getting bored with uh, eight-and-a-half-inch rubber dodgeball. He said he, it just feels like he's doing the same thing over and over again. He was... He was um, very excited to one day be able to try NCBA style. He hopes that 
he could either attend a tournament where he can jump in on a game or something like that. See the factory nationals. Yeah, he wants to play a large scale game. Um, it's 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 insane to play that way. And then I go to elite tournaments and I'm like, I have to play six on six. It's no fun. I get out in like two seconds because the aim for me is tall and big. <laughs> But, yeah, uh, but yeah. the only I think the good side about that is the game lasts so quick that you go on to the next one, you know. Yeah. But uh, um, another idea I was thinking of was going back to how you know at nationals we're able to play so many teams because there's so many teams there, and the whole traveling issue is having kind of like not like a second nationals, but like a, a mini nationals, like midway through the year. Like a big like middle tournament where if anyone wants to host um, like a tournament for like the end of the first semester or beginning of the new year, um, where they invite like ten or twelve teams just like to get more teams playing each other before nationals, kind of. Yeah, I really like that idea, and that kind of was the CDO when I first tried to do it. I tried to get the West teams to play the East teams, and DePaul was a nice middle ground. Uh, it's hard because you had yeah. to you had to have a that that mindset. You had to be a good negotiator and convince the people that they should come to Nepal. It, and it would have to be like put almost as much time as in, as like when you're preparing for nationals because you would have to get a bunch of courts as well as you know enough teams. Um, yeah, you and then you if you were to have an 18 tournament like Beast, Beast is a good example because all the East Coast teams just go. Uh, plus Kent State. Kent State's like been at every one, I think. If you just get them to go and turn that into a, a massive two-day tournament, I think it'd be really successful. Yeah. Um, and it could even lead to kind of an event that costs more in the rankings, because right now nationals cost about double in each ra- rating system. <laughs> um, and it, if they get to that point later in you know in the future, then we can start rewarding teams for or hosts for putting on that, and then, you know, that yeah, it costs 1.5 or 1.25 more than is a modifier. I think, uh, like you said, the beast is um, a good example. Like if they did do something like that, where if they got courts for Saturday and Sunday, and they invited like 12 teams, and to all 12 teams can go, you know, you have a good chance of playing three games on one day and then three games on another day. So yeah, and a bunch of different people playing, you know, a, a bunch of different opponents, which is fun, because uh, everybody complains about having to play somebody all the time, and then they get to nationals, and then they happen to play something, somebody on the second day that they played many times before. And this is, that's how the rankings work out, or, you know, that's how the pools worked out. Sometimes, if you play a lot of games, then your opponents are limited. Yeah. Uh, the league is not just bro- that broad enough. Yeah, that, that happened with us, I remember, uh, I think my senior year at DePaul, where, because it was like JMU came to the CDO, so we also played, in the, we went to Nebraska, so we ended up playing so many different teams that there wasn't much to work with <laughs> when we were at uh, yeah. Nationals. Uh, it, people with big problems with that are Central last year, they played a lot of games, Kent State, DePaul historically, but not really in the past couple years. Um Teams that have generally they, they have a good amount of people that are also willing to pay. <laughs> pay the pay their own way. 
And DePaul gets a lot of help from from their club sports department, but like Kent State, that's they have all their own vehicles. Uh, they have a lot of players generally. Historically. Yeah. I remember me and Felix going into those two couple teams, and are like, "Wow, Central's played everybody, and Michigan State's played a lot of people. Like, how do we, you know, throw them together?" It's gonna be a nightmare again this year. <laughs> yeah, we're already at. Uh, oh. That was 123 games. We just, we just played 100 events. Yeah. No, it's it's um it's solid. But I kind of I kind of like seeing like those matchups you won't normally see unless at nationals. So for example, when JMU did go to the CDO, they got to play MSU, which is something we wouldn't see except yeah. for like nationals. Yeah. So we just had um somebody's doing a story. I'm not gonna say who, but somebody's doing a story on on. Michigan State versus JMU. Not well. That's what they asked about because I'm I'm the record guy. So they're like, hey, what what happens with these when these two play each other? And they've only played each other a total of. It was five times. MSU is five zero oh and five, JMU five and five and zero oh for those two things. Plus really? two overtimes though. Yeah. And two of those were overtimes, and they're all. Uh, the first match, two and one, two and one, three and two OT, two and one, two and one OT. They're all very close within one point. I think even all the CDO matches, I have the point point related statistics, so you could go and look at it and see how long the points lasted, which is just my rant on statistics. But anyways, all right. Thank you too for hanging out with me and trying to make this a weekly thing. So uh, if anybody out there in the 14 viewers that we're going to get, that <laughs> is, is last last week we got 14 viewers. Um, one of them is Wes. Thank God Wes listens. Um, just ping us. Uh, message me. Message somebody on the content team. Um, we're going to try to do this at least once a week. You know, a nice little 20-minute podcast 22 minutes um, to listen to so I'm Zygmunt Maloney in Chicago Chile Chicago Illinois I'm Felix Peroni in Columbus Ohio and I'm Mario Romanelli in Winchester Virginia and this is Average Joe's podcast the premier podcast of the NCDA thanks for listening to Average Joe's podcast Be sure to check out more episodes of Average Shows on iTunes or our website, ncdadodgeball.com. Until next time, just remember the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and die. Bye-bye.